You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Thomas Heatherwick is one of the best-known names in modern building design. His studio's work includes Vessel and Little Island in New York, Coldrops Yard and Google's new headquarters in London. He even designed the cauldron for the Olympic flame in the 2012 London Games. Now he's on a mission to make our buildings less boring and more human. He's written about it in a book called Humanize, and he's been discussing his ideas and his latest projects with me on Bloomberg Radio. We talk about how nature is good and there is evidence showing that people take less time to heal in, in spaces where they can look out at nature. And what nature has is a necessary visual complexity. And we've had buildings for the last 80 years which are flatter and smoother and shinier and plainer and more serious than ever in history. And what's the science is starting to show is that they aren't just maybe not nice, some people might call them ugly, but they actually your body starts to go into stress when you don't have necessary visual complexity but I'm not calling to go back to the past and copy old buildings even some of the new buildings they've really made an effort to put visual enrichment and detail into them which makes it interesting to walk around but it's not just a cosmetic thing what we've discovered is our humanness needs places to have that interestingness. That's a difficult conversation, though, when you're thinking about where the money goes in a project. What value should we be placing on design when it comes to a building like that versus the cost? Value's the word. That value really is the right word. The problem we had was that that style that came in that said flatter, smoother, shinier, more serious, plainer was fashionably good was not good for us but it was also a bit cheaper and so with the humanized campaign we're really arguing that we need to make a step change a bit like we've had in the world of architecture we talk about the green premium which is that a building you do need to pay a little bit more for it to be highly environmentally good performing well but unless people care about it we've had this dirty secret in construction which is buildings get demolished. And so the worst value is to build buildings that society doesn't care about because they get demolished. So for example, with commercial buildings, the average age in the UK of a commercial building is 40 years. So if I was a commercial building, I would have been killed 13 years ago. And the carbon in construction is five times that of the av whole aviation industry. So they're bad environmentally, 
they're bad socially because they don't bring us together. Yeah. And after COVID, when the digital revolution has really kicked in, you can stay at home, get a PhD, work, buy everything. Cities are dangerous places when you don't have people in them. So we need cities that bring us together and nurture the togetherness and not being scared of each other. And does that need to go into planning rules then? Is this a question that we need to change the regulations around buildings in the same way that we do around sustainability to incorporate rules like that? Planning's been quite basic and it's a very difficult thing to get right. But in the book, we talk about the three distances you can experience buildings. If you imagine being 150 metres away from a building, seeing it from, from a distance, how it fits in with the city, you then look at the street distance, which is when you're starting to be maybe only 20 or 30 metres away. But the most impactful and the one that we've found the least regulatory support for design teams, for society, is door distance. Because actually your emotion isn't at the top, it's at the, it's at the bottom. Because that's where we all are, where us as passers-by walk past. and. We spend too much time talking about insides of buildings. A thousand times more people will walk past the outside than ever go inside. So designing for buildings to be givers rather than takers. I mean, selfishly, as a designer of buildings, I want your great-grandchildren to say about one of the buildings I've done, no, don't knock it down. Mm. Let's repair it. Let's adjust it. Instead of saying, meh, knock it down, because the carbon in buildings is... it's ridiculous. On the projects that you've worked on, like for example, the, the Google campus at King's Cross, which people might be very familiar with in, in London as well, there's a fantastic roof garden going at the top of that, which is, you know, a, a really interesting design feature. But again, that's when you talk about perspective, that's not at the street level. Whereas mm. when you walk by at street level, from the images that we've seen, does it look that different from what else that you see in the area? How does it, how would you contribute to, to resolving that issue? Well, I'm actually really pleased you've brought it up because you don't know what we're doing at the ground level. It is an enormous building. It's 330 metres long. It's the same size as a cruise liner coming into King's Cross. So as you will see, and what isn't apparent at the moment behind the hoardings, and the amazing thing about the building is it's lifted up two storeys. And so underneath, we can build a village. So that village will start to be being constructed this year. And that will be a higgledy-piggledy collection of wooden sub-buildings of differing heights. They tip forward at different angles. They're not in alignment. They're different colours. They have different people and community organisations as part of them. So in a sense, we're going to be doing a radical chance to reinvent High Street. But it, to my point, we judge buildings all the time by the top, just as you have. The ground is actually where your feeling is. As you say, no one's in a helicopter looking down on the amazing yeah. garden we put on the top. And, and it's it, only the lucky people who work there that get to use it. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I mean, we're in an incredible building at this moment. You're one of the privileged people in London who will get to be in this building, as will the people in our Google building. But your real duty, I believe, as a building designer, you're, to some extent, a public servant. And so what are you making a building give but I don't think this is sort of just altruistic. It means that for a Google, an organisation like that, what does your employee think as they walk into that building, as they tell their grandmother they work there? 
how do the social values of that building manifest? And for a very long time, we've had buildings that have been takers, not givers. You know, how many times have you walked down a street past a big glass lobby, dead to the passerby, and you can see the some luxury private world beyond, and you can see the, the leather sofa and the marble um, reception desk, but it's, it's got nothing for you. Mm. It's almost rubbing in its exclusiveness. So the Google building in King's Cross will be the opposite of that. Okay. I, I want to ask you about your, your journey on coming to these conclusions in this latest book as well, because, you know, you've had these huge triumphs. We've talked about some of them already. One project which has attracted criticism was Vessel in New York. Um, it had to be closed to the public since 2021 over a number of suicides that happened there. I wonder how you feel about that project now and how you reflect on, on what you learned from that process. Vessel was a, a, a project commissioned to help create a, the atmosphere and identity of, of a new district in New York that hadn't existed before. It was a very, very brave piece of commissioning and an, an incredible investment in helping to wholeheartedly make distinctiveness in, in a place. But it, it timed, very unfortunately, it timed its opening just before this terrible pandemic, something that affected the mental health of the millions of people all over the world. And some of that mental health impact was particularly felt amongst young people. That project was astonishingly compelling in how it engaged people. It was a number one backdrop on Grindr and <laughs> in Tinder and all these things. And the project was built above code. The, ba- the, the barriers all o- around it were built above the code that would have been needed for uh, any normal structure. But its compellingness had a dark side. And so there were no accidents on it. It was very sadly chosen by a tiny handful of people to to do this terrible awful thing uh, so this year uh, we is the year that it's going to be uh, refitted with a protected protected barrier but it was this sort of dark side of its success was this use that people had I mean there nearby there are levels that are just as high as many bits of the vessel mm. which have balustrades that no one was choosing to jump Just, from. So it's a, it was a very sad and telling thing of our time. It will be um, later this year that these, uh, the safety uh, measures yeah. are going to be implemented by the um, commissioners of the project. So I'm pleased Did, to be able to say that. It's had an enormous amount of development and reflection to get it right. So at the moment, there is a sample section of it on the vessel and it, it looks it looks really good. Okay. So it doesn't need to be at the cost of the project. The pro- whole point of the project is it's public. My passion, all my studio's projects are public. And look at Little Island. If you go, you know, just down from there, that opened three years ago and is just packed with people and loved and has these free performances on it and is uh, a main place for New Yorkers fitness and visitors and is all about the river and nature. So I think we are hungry for public spaces that are wholehearted and which sort of validate all of us. You know, the, the thing that sort of inspires me really is that there are seven point whatever billion people on the planet mm. and every one of us thinks we're special. Yes. It's human nature. 
And I think for too long we have not designed the places, the public life. You know how they say you can't change what you can't measure? We haven't been measuring the biggest experiences of buildings who are on the street, outside, who will never come in. New buildings in general are for very privileged people. You know, I design buildings and I know that I'm designing a new building is an expensive thing to do. But at the same time as you have your client, who's your customer, you have another client mm. and that's the public. And it's not to talk down to the public. It's not to say to yourself the public are ignorant, which I do think the construction industry has done for many years too much. But be inspired. How do we make places for us to all come together because now the digital revolution has happened, our cities are being rethought, the amazing opportunity is humanising our streets. Is the UK a good place to be carrying out big design projects at the moment? Is there sufficient ambition, do you think, from government, from policymakers, from businesses in this country? Do they want ambitious design? I feel, in a way, very lucky to have the perspective from different sides of the planet and Looking back at the UK, we've had a chance recently to, to complete a new district in Tokyo. And in China, we're doing a, a couple of new big districts. But, you know, I was all ready to sort of think, ah, Britain, no, nothing. You know, it's like we're finished. Uh, if you, like, when I say we finished, I mean, there's no space to do ambition. But actually, there is everywhere. And on Friday, I was on site at the Olympia exhibition halls the last major exhibition halls in London that we are reworking and so we've been working on that project now for five years the construction is all happening and it's our clients you developments have been really ambitious and I think that cities compete with each other and raise the game one thing that the UK has been famous for historically is creativity and the confidence to be eccentric idiosyncratic make a decision that others wouldn't do and that humour that's here in Britain as well and I think that we have times where we maybe hold back but I think we could be in a time where British forms of creativity you know across the whole of the UK can really manifest because we don't have to build more office buildings we do need thousands of more homes and so homes really is our challenge at the moment how much can we reappropriate the office buildings that aren't needed and how can we make not the same mistakes that were made after the second world war the 60s we built some absolutely terrible places and no one can deny that and we're about i hope to build a lot of housing and it doesn't need to be crazy shapes it doesn't need to sort of be ironic and doing silly things but we do need to find a language which we struggle with in the design world and in architecture at the moment of how to do small things affordable ways to bring detail and richness and humanness and love into detail which doesn't need to cost much more mm. really doesn't because, it's just about the care because it's such a big political issue as well and we're in an election here here in the uk and both Labour and the Conservatives seem to agree that the UK needs to build more housing in a traditional style, be that sort of a neo-Georgian Poundbury or, or something similar. Is that a good solution for housing? What would your sort of advice be trying to address the housing crisis? Every new government says they're going to build 
thousands and thousands of housing units and then don't. So if the, if we have a new government coming in, they are going to need to really find a way through all those barriers about land ownership and planning to really make it happen. And there are examples like Poundbury, which were driven by criticism of the 60s housing and the 60s buildings that got built, some of which, which were amazing, but a very large proportion of which were insensitive to how humans are, how we live and how we behave. And Poundbury really was the king's initiative to find some of the human codes, really, that existed from history and show that they could work in today's day and age. Now, I think that there were some amazing, very true lessons to be learned there. But personally, I don't believe you have to copy old fashioned buildings. But I think the values of the engagingness and diversity and interestingness can exist in new buildings. And we've just lost our touch. We've lost how to do it. There's a mindset in the construction industry that clean lines are always good and that subtlety is good and that less is more and form follows function and ornament is a crime. And we've learned this is not true. It's not true. People love dirty lines. We like places full of fascination and buildings need to tell stories again. Do you want and to be part of that? Would you like to be part of that? I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to. I've worked on housing, uh, but not uh, not on uh, social housing. And I would absolutely love to. And I'd throw myself into it. And I believe that we need to bring together a coalition of many creative industries to collaborate together. It isn't just a case of one profession can lead it and nail it. You know, buildings used to be collaborations before of craftspeople, artists, designers, all working together. And I think that we could bring in stories back into buildings, but it needn't cost much because it needs, it's only really at the street door distance that you can really feel when something is has got care and attention and love. So what would a Thomas Heatherwick social housing project look like? It would be probably quite simple blocks, but with fascination built in to the doors, the windows, the paving, the landscape. I think we could quite cost effectively build that in at, without making expensive shapes. Like social housing in, in Vienna? Friedrich Hundertswasser's uh, houses are, are not trying to be clean lines. In fact, he wrote a manifesto called the Mold Manifesto which was really about the ability to have many people's creativity instead of just one. And, and so if I had the chance to work on a large social housing project, I would want to work with the local people, bring their creativity and have the creativity of children involved too. We've had a sort of desert of sterile buildings. And I don't believe one profession needs to have the sole monopoly, but that it can be a collaboration. So my dream would be for me to be executive architect and work with some local people to help make their ideas come forward and help amplify local distinctiveness. You know, it's such a shame when everywhere looks the same as everywhere else. And the danger in building lots of housing all in one go is that we'll do a version of the problem we had 
back in the 60s where it felt mass-produced. We need to mass-produce, but there are ways to build at scale still having systems of idiosyncrasy. And the head planner from Singapore, who we've got to know and who we've been doing some work with, one thing she said that was so powerful is she said, new buildings don't tell stories anymore. So this is not about whether things look old-fashioned or curvy or square. It's just we need buildings to have the culture of our humanness in them. What we've learned is you t strip buildings of that culture, you are stripping them of their humanity, mm. and it's no wonder they then don't work. And it's not enough to put a sculpture in front, I think they say the turd in the plaza. You know, we don't need the odd random sculpture in the street. That's great, that can happen as well. But what we actually really need is some personality and the confidence to put some quirks and humanness into the fabric of the buildings themselves. Then they are givers and not just takers. It's not just about who's inside. They are the backdrop to our lives that are essential for bringing society together and we need that more than ever. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.